Lord truly inhabits the praises of His people, as our brother Chris has reminded us this morning. And He's here with us today, and we acknowledge Him. And when we do that, we can't help but acknowledge His faithfulness, His goodness, His glory, and His love for us. Um, Would you open your Bible to John chapter 15, and we're looking at verses 18 and following this morning. We'll... Uh, end in chapter 16. And by the way, just uh, just so that you understand, the, the chapter and verse divisions of your Bible are superficial. They were placed there by man. They're not inspired, not infallible, not inerrant like the Word of God itself is. Uh, the words are inspired by God, but chapter and verse divisions were added by man just so we could find our place in the text so that you understand that. So we'll, we'll go from chapter 15 on down into chapter 16 this morning, but it's all part of the same discourse in the upper room where Jesus and his disciples were gathered together the night that he was betrayed. And so just keep that in mind as we go forward here today. Uh, I want us to finish up our series on the idea of fruitfulness with this, this uh, passage And I want us to think about, I've entitled the message, Abide Forever. And those that are in Christ will abide forever. Somebody say, amen. Listen to what it says in 1 John 2, verse 17. And the world is passing away. That's what we talked about Wednesday night. And the things of the world are all transient. But the things of heaven are eternal. And we think about how we have been born again. And we've been born from above. We're from heaven. So the church will remain forever. And God's word came down from heaven. And so it is eternal. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. John says in First John. In our evangelistic efforts as a church. We're often tempted to paint the Christian life. In such a positive light that we neglect sometimes to warn about persecution. Although the Christian life is a good life, and it's filled with tremendous blessings. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes we can set up new believers for failure because we don't prepare them to face persecution. Now, Jesus didn't set his disciples up for failure. He set them up to succeed and to endure through persecution. And so we can think about that this morning as we go to the text and how Jesus wants us to, like his disciples, he wants us to remain in him. And he knows that if we are connected with him, that we will last forever. I want you to think about this biblical truth as we begin to read. Once Jesus has you, he will never let you go. Once Jesus has you, he will never let you go. Would you stand with me and let's read together. Verse 18. Of chapter 15 of John. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you a servant is not greater than. Than his master. By the way, Jesus has just said that as he washed the disciples' feet. Okay? If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, 
because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. I've said all these things to you. This is chapter 16 now in your Bible. To keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your words and your warning that we will be hated in this world and we will be persecuted. And Lord, just as they have done to you, the Master, our Lord, our Savior, they will do unto us, the servants. Lord Jesus, we know that you've said these things not to scare us, not to drive us away, but Lord, to pull us closely and preserve us through persecution and through all of life's difficulty. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've warned us ahead of time. But Lord, you've not just given us a warning, you've also given us a way. And Lord, that way is to trust you and to depend on you and to lean on you and to be fervent in prayer and to never give up, never back down, never give in, but always stand up and be ready to give an account for the hope that's within us. And I pray, Lord, that that would be the driving force for everything that we do Give glory to the name of Jesus, the one who lived and died for us and lives again. And it's in your matchless name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Once Jesus has you, he will never let you go. From this passage, I think we can glean uh, at least three very important truths to remember when you're, you're shaking like that leaf on that vine. When you choose to abide in Christ and you are bearing fruit for his kingdom, number one, you will be hated. Now, if you look at the scripture and you hear what Jesus says, he says in verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before you. But then he goes on to say in verse 19, if you're of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So it's almost as he begins at the beginning of the passage there in verse 18 that he's given it an if, like it might happen that the world hates you. But in Greek, this word can also be translated, this little word ena can be translated since or when the world hates you. Or even because, in certain places it's translated because the world hates you. 
And so since the world hates you, or when the world hates you, know that it has hated me before you. So Jesus has given us information to retain, to remember whenever we face these things as Christians. Because he wants us to be prepared for it and to know that it's going to come, that we will be hated. I'm, I know that you, you're worried about this, uh, but the New York Times reported uh, in December that the copyright infringement case against Taylor Swift has been dismissed by the judge. I know you all came to church wondering and worried about that, so I'm happy to report to you. Aren't you glad that the lyrics to the song that she's saying are now legal? Whew. Taylor never knew she was writing a biblical phrase whenever she said, because the player's going to play, 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 and the hater's going to hate, 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 hate. But baby, I'm just going to shake, 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 shake it off, shake it off. But that's a biblical phrase. The haters going to hate. They're going to hate you. Now, not, not because you did anything to deserve the hatred and the vitriol. Not because you did something in and of yourself. They hate the spirit inside of you. Psalm 69 and verse 4, it, it talks about the passage that Jesus is quoting here that he says it has to be fulfilled. He says in verse 25, in verse uh, 4 of chapter 69 of the book of Psalms, it says, More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Notice the phrase, without cause. There's not a good reason to be hated. Now, some of you are hated by people and you deserve it. Because you've done wrong to them. But what Jesus is speaking about whenever he speaks to the apostles is that they are going to be hated even though they did nothing to deserve it. In our Sunday school class this morning, we read in the book of Acts about how Herod killed James with the sword. How he just, he, he killed him, had him killed with the sword. And then, because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he got Peter and threw him in prison as well. Why? Would Herod have such hatred? Well, Jesus answers the question. He said, they hate you on my account. They hate you because they hate me. And they hate you because they hate me. Because they don't know me. And they don't know the Father who sent me, Jesus said. Jesus spoke truth that they could not bear. It revealed entirely too much about themselves. Their hatred for the Lord Jesus was a lot like someone smashing a mirror because they can't stand their reflection. Imagine the hate that it takes to yell, crucify Him, crucify Him. And see, in our world today, we have somewhat um, washed over the horrors of crucifixion. And we wear crosses around our neck as jewelry. Nothing wrong with that. But if you lived in that first century world, you got to see the horrors of that difficult to even look at, painful act. I mean, it was, it was horrible. And for a crowd to gather together and say, do this to that man. Imagine the hate. Imagine the hate that it took to laugh and jeer and beat him. And as they beat him and, and they stripped him of his flesh for people to just laugh at him about it. 
Imagine that. That's what the Bible says happened to Jesus. They hated me without a cause, he says. Imagine the vitriol that it takes to to spit on someone. Now, I don't know if you've ever been spat upon, but it's one of the most humiliating things that can ever happen to a person. Because the the, the hate that it takes for you to, to hock a loogie up I know that's gross. It is gross. This is in the Bible, though. And expel that on another person. You've got to hate them pretty bad. What had Jesus ever done? What had He ever done? But love every single person, the most loving person that ever walked the face of the planet was hated the most by the people around him. You and I, I said some of you deserve to be hated. (laughs) Truth be told, all of us deserve to be hated. Why? Because we've been hateful. We've all done hateful things. We all deserve it. They hated the Lord first. Jesus says, remember how they hated me. Whenever the world hates you. They hate you because you're different. Once again, to quote Denzel Washington, they hate you because the spirit inside of you agitates their demons. They hate Christians because they hate Christ. They hate the Father because they hate the Son, Jesus said. So when they hate Jesus, not only are they hating Him, but they're hating the Father. And he goes on to say that, look, if Jesus had never said the things that He said, spoke to them the way that they they would not be guilty of sin, does that mean that they'd never done anything wrong? No, that means that they wouldn't be guilty of hating Him But because he said what he said, now they're guilty of hating him and rejecting him. And whoever hates me hates the father also, he says in verse 24. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. What does Jesus say? If I had not been so loving to them and healed so many of them and cast out demons and and healed people of blindness and healed people of leprosy and healed people of lameness, if I had not been so loving to them, They wouldn't be so guilty of hating me. But they are. So he goes on to say, lastly, they hated me without a cause. And what that tells us, in other words, is Jesus says all of the things that he says. What it tells us is that when Jesus looks down and he sees the offense against his people, He takes it personally. When someone maligns you, talks bad about you, gossips about you, mistreats you, withholds money that belongs to you, gives you a bad rep around the people around you, whatever they do to you, when they hate you, when you don't deserve it, Jesus takes that personally. Why? Because you're His. You belong to Him. And just as the Father takes it personally whenever someone hates the Son, the Son takes it personally 
whenever someone hates his body, his church. That ought to be a warning for every one of us. When you say, as a Christian, if you decide you're going to say something bad and ugly about some other Christian, we ought to be afraid to do it. We ought to be ashamed to do it. Because Jesus takes it personally. According to the Ministry of Open Doors, who produces the annual Christian persecution watch list, Syria, India, Sudan, Afghanistan, Iran, Pakistan, Nigeria, Libya, uh, Eritrea, Yemen, Somalia, and North Korea have the highest rates of persecution against Christians in the world. Those countries. And then they go on to say that more than 350 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith worldwide. 350 million Christians. Now, by the way, this is high levels of persecution. The, the, the loss of income, the loss of a home, the loss of family, the loss of freedom, the, the loss of life. Those type levels. But what Jesus tells us is that everyone who professes the name of Christ will be persecuted. You will be persecuted. I mean, we can call it persecuted. Really, it's, it, it may be inconvenienced in America. But at the same time, it, it's a form of persecution. I thought about one person just recently uh, that was on, on the... If you watched any of the games on Fox last night, you got to see Tony Dungy. You remember him? Uh, legendary co- football coach, uh, coach of the Colts. Tony Dungy uh, attended the 50th anniversary of the March, for, the March for Life on January the 20th. That was uh, Friday. And because, his, because of his stance for the lives of the unborn and because of his, uh, his claim to be a Christian, he's been dubbed a right-wing extremist. Even by some of, uh, some of the people in the NFL that he works with. Some of them are wanting him to have nothing to do with the NFL anymore. I'm thankful that Fox continues to put him on the television. Listen to what he said. He says, people look at me and see a calm, cool guy on the sidelines. And I want them to know that my Christian faith affects my coaching and everything I do. I praise God for that. But guess what? Tony is hated. He's hated. Because he's standing up and saying, the baby in the womb is a human being. You know, we can praise God that as we stand here, the weekend anniversary of uh, the Roe v. Wade decision, and also a year from a year from the Dobbs decision that outlawed abortion, excuse me, that, that outlawed the, uh, the, the right to an abortion on a federal level, we can thank God that He's heard our prayers. We can praise God for that. But you stand outside of an abortion clinic and you'll see people with all kinds of signs protesting. And then you'll see other people Yelling and screaming and spitting on people. 
Why is there so much hatred? They hated him first. You'll be hated. Now, that's the bad news. And I don't know if we ought to start there because Jesus has said, I hadn't told you these things up to this point, but I'm telling you now. He says that in verse 1 of chapter 16. I don't think Jesus wanted to unload all of this on the disciples on day one. And as believers, I don't think we should do that to new believers. Hey, by the way, you might get killed. You're going to be hated. People aren't going to like you. I don't know if we tell them that on day one. Maybe a weekend. We'll say, hey... Uh, living the Christian life isn't always roses and you could, could wind up in trouble for your faith. But that's the bad news. Here's the good news. And the last two points are going to be really good. So praise God, we got some good news to latch hold of. So when you are abiding in Christ and when you are bearing fruit, you will be hated. But secondly, you will be helped. You will be helped. Look at what he says in verse 26. But when the helper comes. You see that verse 26? But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So in other words, they've, they've hated me, they've maligned me, they said all kinds of horrible things about me, but when the Spirit comes, he will bear witness about me. And he's going to set the record straight. In the hearts and minds of those whom he will call. And then he goes on to talk about who he is. He calls him the helper and he calls him the spirit of truth. So those two aspects of who the Holy Spirit are, uh, who the Holy Spirit is, that tell us about his ministry in our lives. He's called the helper. The Greek word there is parakaleo. And literally what that means, it means to call someone alongside you. It's almost like, hey, come on over here. Come alongside me. I've got you. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Why do we need Him to be a helper? We need Him to be a helper because we are helpless on our own. We can't live the Christian life on our own. Normally, when branches on a vine, and this is the context of everything that Jesus is talking about, normally branches on the vine, once they get to be a certain age, they begin to do what? They dry up and... Fall off. That's what happens. But what the picture that Jesus paints for us is that we are branches that abide forever. We don't ever dry up, get too old to do what Jesus has told us to do. There's no such thing as that. You continue to serve and you continue to bear fruit until Jesus calls you home. And then even after you've gone home to be with Jesus, your fruit continues to bear more fruit. And that's the picture of a Christian. And we've done some we've done some funerals here the past year that were absolutely difficult. The one funeral that I feel like has probably been the most difficult this year for me was Miss Toshiko's funeral. And I think about that lady, you know, after when she was still here on the earth with us. I don't see Brother Chuck out there right now. He's out there somewhere though, I think. Wherever he is. He's probably serving somewhere. When when she was uh you know, getting toward the end there. She was working with her hands, knitting things together and putting together gifts, ornaments and things, putting them together, origami, beautiful origami that she was doing. And she was putting them in bags, some of the bags handmade that she made for members of our staff, other people that she just knew and loved and appreciated for Christmas gifts. And even after she passed away, went home to be with Jesus, 
those gifts were distributed. And man, it, it brought tears to my eyes whenever I opened up that gift for Miss Toshiko after she's already home with Jesus. And I felt the love that she had for all of those around her and even me. I, what a blessing that was. And her fruit was continuing to bear even more fruit. But what you've got to understand about Miss Toshiko and about any other saint who's bearing fruit for the kingdom is that they never bear fruit on their own. They are helped by the Helper. The Holy Spirit of God causes us to be fruitful. It's His ministry in our lives. He comes alongside of us whenever we're in trouble and when we're uh, desperate and whenever we feel uh, like we can't go anymore. He comes alongside us and He lifts us up and He carries us along. The disciples needed to remember things that they had forgotten. And so one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is not just that He's a helper, but He's also the Spirit of truth. And what He does is He takes the Word of God, which was inspired by the Spirit of God, and He illuminates it in the hearts of the child of God. And He says, this is the truth. And He reveals it to you. And as we're putting the the Word of God in, He's illuminating it. He's letting us understand it and receive it. And we go... As we go to the Word of God, the Spirit of God is speaking to us because He is the Spirit of truth. The disciples had forgotten a lot of it, but the Spirit of God came to them and He revealed it all to them. There's several times in the New Testament, the book of Acts, and also in the Gospels, where the Bible says they remembered what the Lord had said. And after Jesus died and was buried and was raised again, and he, sh- and he showed back up, the Bible says like the light came on in their heads. And they remembered that He had said this would happen. And so this is the ministry of the Spirit of God. Whenever you're having a hard day, and that Scripture comes to your mind, and God just puts it on your heart, and it carries you through that day, who did that? Was it just something chemically that happened in your brain that caused you to remember? No, the Bible says the spirit of truth leads us in all truth. So he's speaking to us. Now, here's the thing. If you're in the word of God, it's like a sponge. You you soak it in. Whenever you're walking on in your daily life and you are hated and you are persecuted and you are going through difficult times and trials and tribulations and the world is squeezing you, guess what comes out? The Word of God comes out of you. But, but why would any of us expect to, to dip a sponge in water and squeeze out Kool-Aid? Or whatever your favorite beverage is. You don't put a sponge in water and expect that something else is going to come out. You put it in water, then water comes out, right? So if you're not in the Word of God, soaking up the Word of God on a daily basis, you aren't abiding in the truth, Jesus says. If you aren't doing that, then when you're squeezed, nothing's going to come out that's of God. But if you're in the Word of God, God will take that, and He will. when you're squeezed, it will come right out of you. And it will be a blessing to those around you. And so we've got to make sure that we're in the Word. And we also remember this. He goes on to say, He will bear witness about me. And in verse 27, You will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And it's the idea that Jesus is saying, You've been with me from the beginning. 
I chose you out of the world. And not only does he do that, but he says, says he's always going to be with us. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. The Bible says that he told his disciples that, lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Isaiah 43 verse 2 says, when you pass through the waters... I will be with you and through the rivers. They shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they lived this verse. Because they were cast into that fiery furnace. But there was another in the fire. The nation of Israel lived through this verse. Whenever they crossed through the Red Sea and whenever they crossed over the Jordan on dry land, whenever the Jordan was overflowing its banks and threatened to sweep away the Israel, and there's that barrier between where they were and where God wanted them to be that they had to cross. Guess what? The ark of God went before them through the river, and God was with them. Don't think that somehow your own ability is going to help you. And it's going to keep you connected to Jesus. You're not holding on to Jesus. He's holding on to you. If, if your efforts kept you, then it, as soon as your efforts diminish, you would fall away. He saves and He sustains. Staying connected is about learning to depend upon the Holy Spirit moment by moment. Things may be looking bad today. They may be looking bad. But when the Helper comes, amen, Hope may seem lost, but when the Helper comes, the world may turn against you and hate you, but when the Helper comes, you may be all out of strength, weary, dejected, distressed, and oppressed, but when the Helper comes, He brings peace in the peril and patience in pain. He brings hope in the midst of hopelessness. He brings light in darkness. He brings power to your weakness. He gives joy for your suffering. Praise God. For when the Helper comes, you will be helped. Lastly, not only will you be hated, not only will you be helped whenever you are abiding in Christ, lastly, you will be held. And He's going to hold on to you and He's going to never let you go. But Jesus tells them, He said, things are going to get rough for you here on this earth. He says, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. He's going to keep them in his hand. In verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. He goes on to say what they're going to do to us. He says they're going to put us out of the synagogues. Well, for, for the first century Jew, the synagogue was the center of the community. It was a, it was a center of first century life in that Jewish society. And so this was a form of excommunication saying, you are no longer part of society. You are no longer part of the faith. And not only do we not love you anymore, God doesn't love you anymore. So they would kick you out of the synagogue and put you out of that. And so Jesus said, they're going to do that. He said, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. So not only are they going to kick you out, ostracize you, disconnect you from society, and they do that. Cancel culture existed in the first century. Not only are they going to do that then, They'll continue to do that even to today. And then he says they will even kill you. And as they kill you, they'll think they're offering service to God. Stephen was the first Christian martyr, a deacon in the first Baptist church of Jerusalem. Y'all didn't get that. Acts 7, 
59 through 60. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. But Stephen did what Christ calls all of us to do, to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Knowing the reason that they persecute us is not because they hate us, but because they hate Jesus. But He is their only hope of salvation. And the Lord answered that prayer. When He had said this, He fell asleep. And then chapter 8, verse 1 of Acts says, And Saul approved of His execution. The fulfillment of what Jesus is saying was right there in the book of Acts. Because here is Saul believing that killing Stephen was service to God. But the Lord answered Stephen's prayer. And Saul came to know the Lord. Became the greatest witness to the Gentiles. A chosen instrument in the hands of God. And then Jesus goes on to say, and they will do these things. What is he saying? He said they're going to do all kinds of things. They're going to laugh at Christians. They're going to mock Christians. They're going to do spoofs about Christians and how ignorant we are. And that's okay. It's absolutely okay for the world to think you're crazy. In fact, the world should believe that you are crazy, that you've lost your mind. You should be so different in the world around you that other people look at you and go, what's wrong with her? What's wrong with him? And that's exactly what Jesus is expecting of you and me. He's saying, when we do that, when we bear that kind of fruit for Him and His kingdom, they're going to do all things, all kinds of things against us. They may slash your tires or key your car. They may write ugly things about you on Facebook. You may lose your income or your position or your job. But I want you to understand this. Nothing in heaven nor earth can shake us from the hands of Jesus. In the high priestly prayer, just a page over from where we are right now, Jesus says, all that are mine I have kept. I have not let one of them go except for the son of perdition. Basically, it was never mine. Judas who went away. But the rest of them I've held. And Jesus said about his sheep that no one can snatch them from his hand. Paul said in Romans 8, 38, through 39, for I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some of you are afraid that Jesus is going to get tired of you. As if it were possible for the Lord of life to ever get tired of anything. He's not tired of you. And when you sin, He still loves you. And He says to you, I'll never let you go. When things get really bad in your life and it's shaky and it's rough and it's hard. Jesus is saying, I got you. I'm never going to let you go. And I know that that's true even for Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. When we go through difficult times, things don't look good if we 
ever go through those times, He says, I've got you. I'm not going to let you go. You just hear the words of John again from 1 John 2, verse 17. He says, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Some of you today, the will of God for you that He wants you to do is to confess to Jesus that you are a sinner in need of His grace. You need Him to forgive you. And you want His salvation. And that's His will for you today. And if you will do that, the Bible says that He will give you eternal life. And you, from this day forward, you will abide forever. You will be born again. And in new life. And then you'll begin to bear fruit for Him. You'll be able to do good things. You'll develop a godly character that results in godly conduct, Christ-like conduct in a world that hates you. But desperately needs to know the same Jesus that you know. And so for some of you, obedience to this means trusting Christ today. And if you're here and you want to do that, I want to give you the opportunity. I want everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes. This is your opportunity to have your name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life to to ensure that you will abide forever in the presence of God. And no matter what happens in this life, you have an eternal home. And no matter what happens in this life, your life will matter. So if you want that, you want the forgiveness of your sin that sets you free and begins a relationship with God through Christ, pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done things that I know are wrong, and I have failed to do things that I know are right. And I deserve the penalty for my sin. To die and to be separated from you. But Jesus, I believe that you love me enough. That you came and you lived a sinless life. And you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe three days later you were raised again. And that you're alive today. Hear my prayer. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and make me a new person. Jesus, thank you for my salvation. Now I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you as my Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? This morning... Are you abiding in Christ? Are you walking with Jesus every day? Are you spending time in His Word? Do you know for sure that you know that when you die, you will be in heaven with Jesus? If you know that, just say, Hallelujah. Because I know that. Praise God for it. Today, if you've asked Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior and you've prayed that prayer with me, This is your opportunity to let others know about the decision that you've made. 
and to enter into the family of faith. And so you come as we sing. This is your invitation. If you're looking for a place to love and serve Jesus and worship Jesus, and you know that the Lord is calling you to be a part of Myrtle Grove Baptist Church, we welcome you to join our membership. This is your opportunity as well. And if you need baptism, you come. And we'll talk about believers' baptism. And if you simply need prayer, our altar counselors will be here to pray with you. Come, this is your invitation. Don't let this moment slip away, but you use it for the kingdom and for the glory of God. Let's sing together. I've got a friend.